Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What's going down? Everybody, welcome to a brand new episode of What's Going Down here, wherever you get your podcasts or on itrwrestling.com. My name is Kenny, joined as always by Mr. Finley Martin Finn. It's dreary and wet outside, but we're here to perk people up. How are you? We are, yeah, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we are here to lift people's spirits, um, hopefully. And uh, yeah, how are you doing? How are you getting on? I'm good. I'm good. You know, it's funny. I was sitting last night watching. Um, watching Raw, and an advert came up for the Undertaker's one-man show uh, happening Survivor Series weekend. There's always a weird bit of PTSD when I see those shows being brought up. And he turned around to me and he said, do you think part of the reason that you were so calm last week during the RVD stuff and you were able to handle it so well is because it was nothing compared to that? (laughs) I said, I think you're right. I I think I haven't handled the Undertaker thing. Anything else... You know, yeah, feels walk like a minor, in the park. Yeah, minor inconvenience compared to that. Mr. Kenny, you are battle tested in this field. That's me. Yeah, if I'm not by now, I never will be. But um, yeah, I'm good. Uh, I'm good. I'm there. It, it did occur to me, you know, when these. Uh, who is it? Do you know who is the person that um, leads the Undertaker uh, through these events? Well, this is the best part. He doesn't have anyone. Oh, does he not? He he, it's like a TED talk, I think, from what I've been led to believe. So he just kind of almost like a stand-up comic is just on there for an hour and a half telling his stories. Well, you know, I mean, his his confidence was no doubt buoyed by his amazing Hall of Fame speech, which he got through in front of a huge crowd, and um, you know, very successfully. So if he doesn't need a co-host, if he doesn't need a partner in crime then why not go solo? doesn't look like you're going to be getting the call, Kenny, to sit in with The Undertaker on these. I mean, I, I'm not... I mean, people people still ask me sometimes, like, would you ever think you'll interview The Undertaker? And, I was, and I'm like, well, the thing is, <clears throat> bearing in mind that him doing the appearances with us and the star cast appearances and all that jazz is basically what made WWE throw millions and millions and millions of dollars at this guy. So they need to, you know, get get that back. And this yeah. is the way to do it. So the last thing that they're going to be doing is going, do you know what? We should probably just call Kenny in Scotland, who is inconvenienced by the 2019. Like, the call's never going to come. 
I would no. be surprised if I ever got to interview him as part of media. Never mind anything else. But um, but that's fine. I'm 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 good with it. You know, the thing I think the the motto that I try to live by now, which I think is a good one, is that if you if there's something that you did that you think if you had acted differently, you would have got a different result, then try and implement that in the future. But if it's something that was out with your control, you can't let it get to you because there's nothing you could have done. And that was in my scenario, there was nothing I could have done. You know, people say, oh, you know, you should have had, had something signed. We did have something signed. You know, the whole, it, but it's like, am I really going to fight WWE on it? No. Yeah, exactly. Of course so, you won't. But, um, but, you know, I'm, look, I'm happy for the guy. He gets to do his TED Talks. I just probably won't ever go to one of them. So that's fine. Um, we've all got our vices. But um, anyway, loads of stuff going on in the world of wrestling that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about Raw, uh, which I know everyone's talking about on Power Slam. Um, but we're here today to talk about just the big happenings from SmackDown and, of course, the Extreme Rules card. So let's just dive in, Finn. We've, uh, on SmackDown, we did have another appearance from Logan Paul interrupting the bloodline, and the reaction for Paul continues to not be, I think, what he would hope they would be. Um, the bloodline continue to be delightful, as always. Uh, what did you make of this second uh, in-ring interaction with the bloodline and Mr. Paul? Uh, well, just just mentioned that uh, the season premiere of SmackDown this past Friday, October 7th, we should mention that Paul Levesque opened the show to a hero's welcome. Mm-hmm. And he said, there will come a time when you believe everything is finished. But that, that is the beginning. Ominous. Yes. Well, what does that mean? I mean, he must have spent a long time working on that mini speech <laughs> so, <laughs> i thought mm, yeah i thought you know that means something to you and maybe you know we can interpret it in our own way anyway to answer your question uh the entire bloodline on the show um <laughs> they were interrupted by logan paul who as you said did not receive a hero's welcome nope. <laughs> to the in the manner of paul Levesque. Uh, and Heyman said that Logan Paul was this generation's version of Mr. T or Cindy Lauper, uh, an outsider <laughs> who brought more people, whose job was to bring more people to WWE um, to worship Roman Reigns. Heyman did like a long promo. He kind of lost me on some of that stuff. And there was local, some local sports references there and some references to um, Fighters, I believe. I wasn't really sure what he was talking about. It, I thought he went on a bit, actually, and that's unlike Paul Heyman. Um, so well, yeah, he, he he did have quite a good line at one point where, because obviously Logan Paul's brother Jake Paul is you know does these kind of weird pseudo celebrity boxing matches yes. or celebrity fights, and he's I believe he's facing Anderson Silva soon. Yes, and um, Heyman you know said, that. you know, yeah, he, he said, you know, Rain said to him, "Who the hell is Logan Paul?" And Heyman said, "It hit me, just it hit me in the head, just like Anderson Silva will hit Jake Paul in the head when they fight, you know." And that was when he brought up the whole comparison to to the previous celebrities. So yeah. I, I I understood that reference. <laughs> That's the one that I did get. So yeah, I thought he went on a bit, which is unlike Heyman because he normally measures these things perfectly. Um, mm. And Logan finally was allowed to speak. And um, he tried to create dissension in the bloodline ranks by saying that maybe Jay was the tribal chief, not Roman Reigns. And then Reigns and Jay sort of looked at each other angrily, you know, harking back to what happened back in 2020. Obviously, they had their feud before Jay fell in line and joined Team Roman. Um, And then, of course, it was up to Sami Zayn to play Peacemaker. You know, he's the voice of reason. Or he was the voice of reason in the bloodline. So he stepped in and calmed Jay and Reigns down. And um, I mean, that was pretty funny. And then he insulted Logan Paul. And yeah, I mean, I enjoyed the segment. I mean, Logan Paul just needs to accept the fact when this run with Reigns is over and when after he loses at Crown Jewel, uh, that he just needs to turn heel. You know, you need to revert to the heel character, Logan Paul. It's the only future for you or bright future for you in WWE, because if if people are not going to cheer you against Roman Reigns, they're not going to cheer you against anyone. No, and if he and if he, you know, his his third match is against Roman Reigns. Once you've done that match, there's not really anywhere else to go. No, you know, not like, as a fe- not as a babyface character. There's nowhere. No, 
No, it's, it's you know Braun Strowman suffered. I mean, it was different because he obviously was a lot long term wrestler. You once once Brock, uh, Braun Strowman lost to Brock Lesnar at No Mercy twenty seventeen. You know, in like four minutes or whatever. You know, there, there was really not much else for Braun to do. It took him a long time to kind of rehabilitate himself, but he had some cachet with the audience. He was able to do that. He was able to draw on the fan, uh, you know, response to him. But Logan Paul doesn't have any fan response to him that's positive. He just has negative. So, yeah, I mean, maybe the reason Paul Heyman went long in this opening promo is because he was just trying to do whatever he could to not have Logan Paul on the mic for too long. <laughs> maybe that was the strategy. But, um, maybe. Anyway, um, elsewhere, though, on SmackDown, we had Hit Row coming out, and they were attacked by Legado del Fantasma, um, and we've got we had the the trio of the gentlemen Santos Escobar, Joaquin Wilde, and Cruz del Toro, but Zelina Vega was the uh, was the manager, not uh, Electra. So they're making the change there. What did you make of the debut? What do you make of Zelina being with them? Talk me through your thoughts. Yeah, I thought it was well done. I mean, they're all wearing uh, lucha masks when they did the beatdown. Of course, anyone who watched NXT knew exactly who it was. Oh, it was. Pretty much the perfect way to bring them in. Uh, Hit Row weren't doing anything. Um, and these are two acts who I think are, are going to strive to have the best matches possible and really make an impression. Um, certainly, we've got very well-defined faces in Hit Row and defined heels in Langado del Fantasma. I think Zelina Vega is a really good fit as the manager because it's a familiar face. Um, she's not a bad wrestler, but I don't really feel like that's her forte. Um, you know, she did beat down uh, B-Fab, um, you know, which, which, you know, I'm glad that B-Fab isn't a regular in the ring. <laughs> I mean, we're still trying to recover from that match. Did she have a match with, um, was it Lash Legend in NXT? She did have one match then. It was, or maybe it was Electra she had a match with. It wasn't very good. And I don't think she had many more matches in NXT. Um, so she's definitely a work in progress when it comes to wrestling. I think she can do like gimmick stuff and maybe a few spots, but I can't see her doing like full matches. And Zelina, I think, is better in this role than as a full time wrestler role. So yeah, I think it was a, a really, you know, potent, powerful, you know, start for leg for Legado. So I wish them well. I, I mean, I've got to say that act never really, I never really warmed to them in NXT. Until they did the storyline with Tony D'Angelo and his and his crew, and I thought they did really well in there. I thought Santos Escobar really got over in that feud with the Don, and um, you know I thought it was the perfect time for them to leave NXT, and hopefully this will be the perfect time for them to join SmackDown. Yeah, fingers crossed, and this uh, this works out for them. We'll see what's uh, going to happen. I mean, Zelina Zelina is more charismatic and has got more kind of to offer than Electra does, which is a shame for Electra. But you know, you've got to go where the where the talent is and where what fits best. Of course, um, yeah, so, absolutely. Um, but then the main event of SmackDown for the season premiere was Gunther versus Sheamus for the Intercontinental Championship, and these guys again had a barn burner of a match with a. Uh, you know, there was a moment because Sheamus put Gunther in the clover leaf, and uh, Gunther seemed to tap, but then the referee kind of, you know, ruled that he was trying to, you know, motivate himself to get to the ropes, so he wasn't tapping. Um, and then Sheamus is obviously protesting it. That le- led to everyone running out, um, and the shillelagh was 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 passed to Gunther, and he uh, hit Sheamus with it when he went for the road kick and pinned him. So Gunther retains, and Sheamus kind of has an out that he. You know, could have won the match. So they were definitely protecting Sheamus on the finish. Uh, what did you make of the match? Yeah, I don't think it was quite as good as the Clash at the Castle match, but I think it was still very well done. Um, I mean, um, yeah, it was a similar match, really tough and very believable, and the audience were with them from start to finish. I mean, they knew it was going to be good, and they did not disappoint. Uh, Imperium, as you mentioned, um, Sheamus applied the Texas Cloverleaf on Gunter, and um, it appeared that he tapped, um, but uh, the referee ruled, she ruled that uh, Gunter was trying to grab the, bo- the bottom rope to force the break. And Seamus protested the decision, but the match continued. And then the other members of Imperium and the brawling brutes ran out. There's a big rumble at ringside. Uh, and during the confusion, Ludwig Kaiser uh, passed a shillelagh to Gunter, um, who 
as the referee was distracted, drilled Sheamus and then scored the pin. So it was a far from honourable victory by Gunter, um, the man who says that the ring is sacred. I mean, what a hypocrite, but he's a heel. Um, so it feels to me like this was, you know, a setup for one final match between them. Um, you know, like, I mean, you would think that maybe Sheamus will win in the last match. I mean, I think that'd be a huge moment if he does. I imagine that last match maybe will be a cage match. Some type of stipulation match, I would be, think. Got to be some to keep out the, the rest of the, the crews. Yeah. Um, I mean, the crowd, the crowd really want to see Sheamus win it. And the fact that they still want to see him win it, you know, it wasn't just a, a UK thing, which you know, you could have chalked that up with Clash at the Castle. Um, there's definitely an appetite, I think, to see him win that belt. Oh, yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think they've done a really good job of um, pushing that Sheamus has never won this title. And it's a title that, you know, he, he covets, that he seeks to own. Uh, seeks to win. So, I mean, I think they've done a really good job of rehabilitating the IC title um, under Gunther, uh, under Gunther rather. So I think I think overall this feud has been tremendous for all involved. I mean, an Imperium as well, Giovanni and Ludwig, you know, and uh, Butch and Ridge Holland, I think have, have really benefited from this as well. You know, the rising tide um, elevates all ships, as they say, Kenny. So I think all... Everyone involved here is more over now than they were before this feud started. And it still feels like there's some mileage in it le- uh, mileage left in it yet. But yeah, I think Seamus, if he were to defeat Gunter for the belt in that third match, in that third big TV match between them, or third big premium live event match between them, I think that would be quite a moment for Seamus. Yeah, 100%. Uh, well, let's uh, pivot from that straight into Extreme Rules, which took place the next night. We had a, a great opening video with Paul Heyman uh, and a boy with a spelling bee to spell the word extreme. It was very, very good uh, to see an original video package that had some, you know, creativity to it. Um, but then we had Imperium and the Brawling Brutes open the show in the good old-fashioned Brook match. And, you know, they just... It's like they took what they did on SmackDown and they just turned the volume up. We had all six of them and it was a hell of an opener. We saw the Brawling Brutes get the win, which made sense because obviously, you know, Sheamus could get his win after sort of, you know, losing the night before. And uh, this was a hot match to open the open the show. Yeah, it was. Yeah, there was beer barrels set up at ringside. There was a tatty old bar set up as well. So, I mean, I thought Michael Cole and commentary had a really good line. Um, Ludwig and Giovanni were holding Seamus, and Gunter was laying the chops in, and Cole said, Cole said this is no happy hour for Seamus. I thought that was a really good line. Uh, it really laid into him with chops. Um, I mean, you know, the barrier fell down at one point, the crowd barrier. I mean, there was all sorts of mayhem at ringside. I mean, it just never slowed down. I mean, it was definitely the right out for, outcome. Seamus pinned Vinci after the bro kick. You know, maybe they did a little bit too much, Kenny. That would be my only complaint. There was a, I mean, this was an opening match, and you're not supposed to wear the crowd out in that opening match. You know what I mean? And maybe they did. Maybe they just went a little bit over the top here. Well, I mean, may, maybe that, maybe that's the way that you feel because the follow up was so abysmal. That, yes. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's like going from uh, it's like going from seeing Sister Act the musical on Broadway to seeing a school production in Leith. You know, it's like that's the the difference that we get yeah. here. And I, I say that as someone who one year booked tickets for Ollie and I and our respective partners to go and see Sister Act at the Edinburgh Fringe because I thought that would be fun. And nowhere on the advertisement did it say that it was a school production, mm. and it was horrific. <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, always read the fine print is what you've learned. Yes. Love Morgan, Ronda Rousey Extreme Rules match for the SmackDown Women's Championship. We have talked, you know, ad nauseum about how Liv Morgan needed to enter a strong performance in this match. And boy, did she not fit. But we did have Ronda Rousey walk out with the SmackDown Women's belt. But this, I mean, this, this was not a success. No, it wasn't. The match was fought under extreme rules. And um, I mean, the problem, of course, is we'd seen so much in the previous match. So much chaos, fighting with objects and props. And obviously, Imperium and the Brawling Brutes were going to do it better than Ronda Rousey and Liv Morgan. 
So I think there's a bit of a failure here in the way that the show was arranged. I mean, you know, I know they say, well, you need a really hot open to start the show. That's the WWE mentality. And I do get that. But it's like if that really hot, hot opening match is then to the detriment of the match that follows, then you, you know, you've kind of failed really um, in terms of actually putting together a, a show with a start, middle and an end you know, that does what it's supposed to do, which is provide constant entertainment. So I think Rousey and Morgan were in a difficult position here. Uh, Morgan, of course, was defending a SmackDown women's title against Rousey. Rousey had essentially mocked Morgan and said that she wasn't extreme and that she was a pretender and that she you know, couldn't hang with her. Um, and unfortunately, Rousey was was proven correct here. I mean, there's some weak shots here. I mean, they used all sorts of weapons. There's baseball bat, chair, fire extinguisher. Um, there was a really, you know, pretty bad blown spot where um, Morgan um, placed a chair, propped a chair between uh, in the turnbuckles between the middle and the top rope, and that was supposed to then lead to a spot uh, in which Ro in which Rousey was thrown into the chair. Um, unfortunately, the chair fell out of the ropes to the floor. And they did the spot without the chair being in place. And it just felt really flat. And the commentators tried to cover for them by, by saying that the furniture was not behaving. Felt like they got lost there as well. I mean, the match did um, pick up a little bit when Morgan smashed Rousey through a table with a senton. Uh, but then Rousey immediately transitioned into a submission, into various submission holds which kind of, you know, negated the point of the big table spot because Rousey really should have sold that more than she did. And instead she recovered and then she's applying submissions. Now, I think Morgan at one point was supposed to pick, well, she did try to pick Rousey up as the submission was hold was on for a powerbomb. But it looked to me, Kenny, like Morgan couldn't, didn't have the strength to pick Rousey up for the spot. No. So the subsequent powerbomb was really feeble. So that looked weak as well. And then they just continued regardless. I think they realized, oh dear, this match has not gone according to plan. But Rousey freely admits she's not a ring general. And we, as we now know, Kenny, Liv Morgan isn't a ring general either. So she couldn't work out what to do to save the match when it started going wrong. Uh, and in the end, Rousey, you know, applies submission. And at least Liv didn't tap out. She passed out from pain which, as we know, is a symbol of somebody, uh, the badge of uh, a badge of honor in WWE circles. If you pass out uh, due to pain and you're a baby face, that means that WWE thinks you're a star. So at least she didn't tap out at the end. But yeah, she, did, however, she did, however, have a very weird smile on her face. Yes. As she, like, I mean, I don't want to be too hard on Liv Morgan here, but it was a diabolical performance. It really was. Like she, She's been wrestling for how long? Like years, right? Where did yeah. she join the WWE system? Let me just see. Was it she joined the WWE system. Was it 2015, 2016? Yeah, 20, 2015. She had her first match. She signed with WWE in 2014. Okay. Had her first match in 2015. It's seven years ago. Yeah. This was not a performance. You know, because I mean, Ronda Rousey, to give her credit, Ronda Rousey's only really done this for two years. Full, like, fully done it for two years. And even then, she's not done it anywhere near as much as Liv has. So she is the, I mean, Liv is the veteran, technically, yeah. in this match. And she didn't deliver. She, like you say, she couldn't, she just couldn't do basic moves. And then she's smiling when she's in the tap out. I mean, to me, if I'm if I'm booking it, I'm going, I'm saying, you know, we experimented with Liv, but she's just not up to the task. So Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, you know, we've made, I've made excuses for Morgan in the past, and I'm not going to make any more. Because no. she didn't deliver. This was a big moment. Um, this was the night on which she passed the belt back to Rousey. Um, I mean, they rushed her into the role. She should never have become champion when she did. She should have become champion next year. Uh, maybe they thought, well, you know, she's the baby face. So, you know, Austin Theory's got the case and he's not cashing in immediately so that we don't want to run the same storyline with Liv. She needs to cash in immediately. So I understand that um, because if she was also delaying cashing in, that would 
be far too similar to what they were doing with what they are doing rather with Austin Theory. So I do get why um, they cash made a cash in, uh, booked a, to cash in the briefcase early, um, you know, right after she won it, actually. Uh, but it's, um, yeah, she she just, you want to sort of believe that she's going to learn from this and she's going to improve and she's going to go back and work out where it all went wrong for her and what she needs to do to improve her all-round act to potentially, you know, persuade um, the creative team to give her another shot as champion. But, I mean, she's going to have to work really hard at it, Kenny, because this was not a success. This was big flop. And this was a big moment, this match. And she... Yeah, she didn't deliver. She was supposed to be the voice of experience in there, carrying Rousey, freely admits that she needs someone to tell her what to do in her matches. And yeah, there was just too many things wrong with it. There was too many blunders. Mm-hmm. And it was as if, you know, it's like for someone with that level of experience, she should have known what to do um, to correct the match when it went off course to get it back on course and and, he, and even if you even even if you kind of you know it is fair to say that the booking has not been stellar of you know her winning and then her her winning the, the briefcase and then sort of having the fluke victories but when it comes down to the actual match itself that is where she comes in that's where she's meant yeah. to and if she delivered within what they were booking it would have been fine but she didn't and that's the problem so yeah um absolutely we move from that to um, to Drew McIntyre and Karrion Cross in a strap match, um, which went about 10 minutes. Um, it it other, felt like a hell of a lot longer. It did. I mean, my other half, Steve Gunn, had a, we were sitting watching this together and he had another great line. But he, he, he looked at Scarlett and said, God, she deserves better than him. <laughs> I thought she does. She really does. You know, Scarlett's got like this kind of... You know, it, was, it reminded me of Sable circa 1998. Yeah, well, Karrion Cross is definitely filling up to his Mark Merrill potential. Um, <laughs> geez, oh. um Yeah, this 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 is just very dull. Um, it, I don't think it was a bad match, but I just don't think people cared. Nobody is invested in Karrion Cross, so if nobody's invested, then you're just kind of doing moves to no reaction. You are. I mean, I mean, when he returned, I mean, I was pleased for him, you know, and happy that Scarlett has received a shot in the main roster. But I mean, Cross to me is somebody who looks the part, has the entrance, has the tattoos, but he just doesn't have the the aura. He just doesn't project this sort of dynamic sort of menace when he's there. You know, you look at him in pictures and you think, wow, that guy looks like a star, but he's just not connecting on a on a villainous level with the audiences, unfortunately. And as I wrote in my most recent whilst he's going down, you know. This match with Drew McIntyre, this strap match with Drew McIntyre was a huge test for Karrion Cross because if the match was not a success, no one anywhere was going to blame Drew for the failure of the match or the match being mediocre because Drew's been one of the most consistent wrestlers in the business who always delivers, you know, always provokes a reaction. You know, he's absolutely over with the audience. But as you just said, Kenny, I mean, Drew's over. But I mean, people aren't really, you know, weren't really gripped by this feud with Cross. And they put a lot of TV investment into this. You know, they've really tried with Cross and he's beaten Drew down again and again on TV. Um, But when, you know, the big match came, the strap match came at Extreme Rules, people weren't really that interested in seeing Drew get his revenge on Cross. Um, It sort of should have worked. But again, you know, Cross is almost like a Liv Morgan, someone who's been given this opportunity, given this TV time, given this big spot in this against a big star on a major show, and just did not bring it when the um, you know when it mattered. Um, I mean, I'm not sure what they're going to do with Cross. I mean, in the end, um, Drew was. Um, I mean, there was some reaction when Drew made his big comeback. Cross had a lot of offense here. But people weren't really booing him. They weren't really angered by his heel heel act. And when Drew finally made his big comeback, it wasn't like a huge sort of, you know, roar of support for him. Like, go get him, Drew. I mean, there wasn't really that emotion there. I mean, Drew was about to go for the Claymore when Scarlett hopped into the ring. She sprayed Drew in the face with what they said was pepper spray. Mm -hmm. And then Cross hit this cross hammer 
clubbing forearm for the pin. I mean, weak. I mean, a really weak finisher. Um, I think his submission holds the cross jacket. I always thought, thought that was a really weak submission. So I'm glad they didn't use that at the finish. But I mean, he's, you know, the cross hammer blow was kind of a weak finish as well. I'm not sure where Cross goes from here, Kenny. I mean, this was obviously a huge win for him. It was a tainted win, but it was a huge win nonetheless. But what did he do next with Cross? This is a very difficult position for the WWE creative team because they brought him back, giving him another shot, and they put a lot into him. And it's just, there was no fireworks there, were there, Kenny? There was not even a sparkler. (laughs) <laughs> there was nothing I mean I'm more concerned about Drew in a way because where does Drew go you know Drew's kind of he had the big loss at Clash at the Castle now he's losing to Carrying Cross I mean another big loss it's probably heel turn time for him at some point soon because what else do you really do um, but you know he's a tripper he's he he did he did his best here there was nothing he could do but uh, yeah I to me I, you and you and a lot of other people have sort of said to me before you know he was really good in impact as Killer Cross he was really really good there and I've not seen any of that but no. it plus, is plus, it, I mean that was a much smaller company yeah big big fish small pond right yeah it hasn't yeah. translated to it didn't translate to NXT it didn't work there no, certainly no. didn't work last year you know the feud with Samoa Joe was a total dud. Um, you know, you could blame some of that on Samoa Joe, but I mean, Cross was not over in NXT, and then they brought him up to the main roster, and lots of people blamed the booking and the loss to Jeff Hardy, and that was, you know, rational um, criticism. You know, you couldn't argue with that criticism of the way in which WWE had failed Cross last year. Absolutely, they did. But what did he bring to the ring? What did he bring to the table? You know, what sort of menace or, you know, you know, what sort of, you know, your real sort of impact did he bring to the promotion? You know, you didn't, you weren't salivating the prospect of a killer cross, a carrying cross match. You were just like, oh, he's cross again. He just feels to me like a guy who's just been pushed beyond his station, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't see things changing anytime soon for him. But um, anyway, let's move on to the next match. Bianca Belair, Bailey in a ladder match for the Raw Women's title. Um, we had talked about how we thought this was Bailey's time, but it was not to be. Bianca Belair was able to retain, uh, in spite of it going three-on-one at one point with Eosky and Dakota Kai coming out to help uh, with Asuka and Alexa Bliss being injured, but Bianca retained. How did they do here, and where do they go from here? Um... I mean, we should point out that Nikita Lyons from NXT was shown in the crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then Bron Breaker also was shown in the crowd later on. Synergy, so, Finn. Synergy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Synergy, you know, joined up booking, you know, joined up cooperation and all that jazz to try and get people over and prepare people for the big time. Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I was expecting more from the match. I mean, at this point, you know, a three, you know, obviously the opener had been fiery, you know, it had been chaotic, you know, it had been all action. And then Rousey versus Morgan had been a flop. Cross versus McIntyre, sadly, you know, didn't exceed our expectations. Um, you know, I, I didn't have high hopes for it, to be honest with you, beforehand because of carrying cross for all the reasons I've explained. And then it was Bailey versus Bianca Belair in a ladder match for Belair's Raw Women's title. And yeah, this didn't catch fire either, Kenny. I mean, Belair hit the KOD and then climbed the ladder. And at that point, Dakota Kai and Io Sky ran in and knocked Belair off the ladder. Um, so, I mean, I thought, could this be Belair's excuse? I mean, I was hoping that Bailey would win here. We talked about this prior to the show that he did feel like it was Bailey's night and what exactly was Belair going to do as champion if she retained against Bailey that you know that was the fear uh, I think it did um gain steam it did pick up momentum towards the end um you know Belair took uh, Kai uh, and Sky Kai and Sky out with a double K or D um and Belair then picked Bailey up as she held a ladder and KOD Bailey onto the ladder. I mean, that was actually a pretty good finishing spot. She got the KOD, Bailey's holding a ladder as she's in KOD position. 
And then Belair flung Bailey to the mat and Bailey crashed into the ladder as she hit the mat. Uh, so that was actually a really good spot. And that did really, you know, light up the crowd. And after that, Belair climbed the ladder and grabbed the belt to retain the Raw Women's title. But yeah, I was expecting more from the match, Kenny, if I'm honest with you. What did, what did you think? Yeah, I'm with you. I, I saw a lot of people very happy with the match and thought it was, you know, really, really good. And I was kind of going, it was okay. Like, it, it, yeah. and I, I think maybe part of it is they did, they did work hard and they did do good stuff in the match. But I think that maybe the expectation for me was a lot higher. Like, I really expected a lot from it. Um, and I think that just the kind of the three on one thing and then having Bianca still overcome it, you know, I felt a little bit Super Cena esque yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I'm, and I don't really want to feel that way about Bianca. So, I mean, look, it's Bianca Belair and she's someone who's new and she did have to go through that SummerSlam thing last year. So, I still have goodwill towards her for that a little bit. But, you know, you can't keep, I mean, damage control now, they've been back since SummerSlam and. Um, you know, on Raw, they, on Raw, they, you know, we find that the, the feud's not finished. But, I mean, to me, this was the way, this was just one-on-one of how to get the belt to Bailey. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. And they'd done the setup on the previous Raw. Mm-hmm. Um, damage Control had beaten down Asuka and Alexa Bliss, Belair's allies, so they couldn't save her from this three-on-one attack. So that was the perfect excuse there for Belair to lose. And instead, yeah, Belair. I mean, to me, the thing that annoyed me about Belair here was that she was just moving too quickly. She she's like she doesn't really understand the concept of gradual selling, where the more punishment you take, the slower you move. And she's running around like she's as fresh as a daisy. And then just basically sprinted up the ladder after taking all this punishment. So I mean. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure really, Kenny, about Belair. I mean, I want to, I mean, she's obviously a star and she's had some good matches. But to me, she's someone like a Ronda Rousey and she needs a lot of management in matches. And you could see there was moments there where Bailey was telling her what to do, you know, quite audibly, you know, almost in the Cena role. You know, Bailey's the heel, of course. But Bailey was there <laughs> telling Bianca what to do at ringside and. It's like she's not coming naturally to Bianca, this whole pro wrestling thing. I mean, she's been doing it for a while as well now, Kenny. Yep. You know, she's been uh, on top for a long time as well. So, I mean, she's got to take some criticism for the, I wouldn't say failure of the match. I mean, I thought it was good. But, I mean, to me at this point in the show, especially, this needed, you know, this needed to, you know, this needed to erupt this match. This needed to be a scorcher. And, um it was just warm, Kenny. Just warm. Yeah, you. It's, it's you know, it was a, it was a takeaway that you'd went to pick up and you brought it back instead of being piping hot. It was just warm. Yeah, and that's fine. It's better than it being cold. Um, up next we had Edge taking on Finn Balor in an I Quit match. Uh, this match did go pretty long, but there was. I mean, I loved the second half of this match. I thought all the drama and the run-ins and the uh, the stuff was just expertly put together. So I was a big fan of this. Finn Balor got the win in the end. We got the concerto on Beth. So much happened, but all of it made sense. Um, how did you feel about it? Yeah, I, I mean, I I was really hoping that this would turn the show around, and happily it did do so. Um, I thought Michael Cole was really good on commentary at the start, explaining the history of the I Quit match. He said that Ollie Anderson was in the first I Quit match in 1970. Um, and brought up the history of the I Quit matches in WWF stroke WWE. Uh, Bob Backlund versus Bret Hart, the first I Quit match. I I, I wasn't aware of that. But WrestleMania think, 11, right? Yeah, it wasn't a very good match, was it? Roddy Piper was the referee, sort of screaming into the microphone. Yeah, I mean, Roddy kind of kind of overshadowed Backlund. Are you trying to say Roddy Piper tried to steal the limelight from someone? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Well, he'd been there, hadn't he? He'd been the referee of Brett versus Yokozuna, hadn't he, the previous year? Yep. And he actually did a pretty, he actually, I thought he enhanced that yes. by his performance. But uh, he certainly did a better job than Mr. Perfect did in Lex Luger versus Yokozuna. <laughs> that's very true. Although I'll, I'll always remember the fact that Roddy Piper decided I'm not wearing any form of stripes and Mr. Perfect wore all the stripes from head to toe. Yes. <laughs> yeah. What a fashion moment. Go watch that on the network. Anyway, uh, thoughts on this one? 
Yeah, yeah, really good. I mean, I mean the um I mean they fought through the crowd, used all the props, ended up um just all over the arena. Um I mean there was um they, they actually did the same the, the chair spot between in the turnbuckle between the top and middle turnbuckle, they'd actually you know jammed the chair between the ropes like Morgan had done before it fell to the floor. And Edge uh, ended up uh, reversing Balor into the chair. So success. That spot <laughs> does work. Or it can work. Um, I mean, Edge speared Balor off the, off the apron into Damian Priest and Dominic Mysterio. That was a big spot. Then Rhea Ripley suddenly appeared at ringside and handcuffed Edge to the top rope. Uh, the Judgment Day then ganged up on Edge, beat him down. Uh, Rey Mysterio ran out for the save. Dominic beat down Ray. Michael Cole had something of a meltdown on commentary. He's your father, for God's sake. You know, <laughs> but to me, this what made the match, and you've already mentioned this, was the add-ons at the end. All the extras that they tacked on at the end. That's what made this match. We knew Beth Phoenix was going to be involved at some point, and here she was. She turned up here. Um she uh, fought with Rhea, so that was really good. Fans were uh, really pleased to see her. Um, Edge then hit three spears on, but oh, I should mention that uh, Phoenix, uh, well, it was Rhea Ripley who handcuffed Edge to the top rope. She had the key. Uh, Beth retrieved the key from Rhea and unhandcuffed Edge, and that went slightly better than the Paul Heyman and Roman Reigns unhandcuffing went at Raw Rumble a while back, didn't it, Kenny? Yeah, <laughs> So, I mean, I bet they were backstage thinking, oh, please, please, let's not have another prop equipment malfunction. <laughs> and, it, and that was fine. It worked. So, um, Edge was uh, unhandcuffed. He hit three spears on Bala. The crowd were going ballistic. Uh, but then Ripley turned up and clocked uh, Beth with brass knuckles. Um Edge was shot. The Judgment Day grabbed Edge, beat him down. Um, Bala hit the coup de grace a number of times. Um, he's completely beaten down. They asked him, are you going to quit? He said, go to hell. And then we kind of knew at this point what was coming. You know, that it was going to be Edge saving Beth. That would be, because I mean, Edge couldn't say I quit, couldn't he? Could he under any circumstances to save himself? No, no. But it was acceptable for him to say I quit to save his wife. So Rhea Ripley set up a concerto on Phoenix and Edge is there looking on, you know, he's panicked. Oh no, I've got to save my, my wife from this, you know, impending terrible, you know, life-changing injury. So he said, I quit. And of course, Ripley hit the concerto after he said, I quit anyway, because she's a heel and that's what heels do. So yeah, I thought, I thought it was really well done this and really just, Turn the show around after three matches that we had expected a heck of a lot more from. Yeah, it, it was it was great stuff. Even the Rhea and Beth face off, and you know Beth saying, you know, this is your dream match. Well, here I am. Um, the crowd reacted to them like they were superstars, which is great. So you know, get get. I mean, with Beth and Edge doing stuff together, to me, it really works. So yeah, get yeah. get them doing stuff because they they really it's magic when they get together because they're you can believe it they're they're married they're they're in love it makes sense that Edge would sort of sacrifice himself for Beth and then of course Rhea she had to do it anyway she had of to course do she it did anyway. absolutely and and the booze was sustained yeah I mean the booze that was like I'm not saying it was proper old school heat because you know that doesn't exist anymore but I mean it was as 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 much hatred and anger as you could possibly, you know, muster or summon or provoke in 2022, in, at least in WWE. And people were really, you know, they were really, you know, upset with the way in which Rhea Ripley behaved and with Judgment Day in general, you know, with the outcome. But I mean, Protected Edge as well, you know, so I mean, it was really well put together here. I thought Rey Mysterio, Sean, Dominic had a really good uh, moment in the match where he, you know, he tried to make peace with Edge when he realised, oh, no, it's just me versus Edge. And then Edge booted him in the nuts. You know, so that was poetic justice justice after what had happened at Clash of the Castle. So everything all made, made sense. It was all an extension of what had happened previously. Um, and no doubt this feud will continue. And I look forward to the 
presumably Balor and Ripley versus Edge and Phoenix match. I think that match is forthcoming. Maybe it's Survivor Series. Yeah, very much looking forward to that. So it'll be very exciting. Um, Let's talk about the main event. Matt Riddle, Seth Rollins in a fight pit match with Daniel Cormier as the guest referee. Matt Riddle gets the win here. They go about 16 and a half minutes. Seth is doing an uh, ode to RVD with his ring gear. Uh, what did you make of the match? I mean, Riddle, Riddle had to get the win, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we talked about this last week. I, I was amused uh, at the beginning of this match. Um, Michael Cole mentioned that Booker T uh, was starting on commentary on NXT this week, uh, to which Corey Graves said, I'll say a prayer for Vic. <laughs> that was funny so this was only this was the first fight pit match on main roster tv on main roster premium live events uh the first one had taken place may 27th 2020 between riddle and timothy thatcher and kurt angle was the referee of that kenny i'd forgotten that yeah i'd forgotten that as well so you mentioned that i remembered it was thatcher and riddle but i didn't remember kurt angle yeah, it was, it was actually a really good match. I was not really a fan of Thatcher, but I thought, you know, they did a good job of getting him over. He was somebody who obviously wasn't going to make it on the main roster. So I understood, you know, I understand why he was he was released when he was. Uh, but they had had a really good match in NXT. I, yeah, I thought it was well done. Um, I mean, as you said, Riddle needed the win. And this was his match. Obviously, he lost to Thatcher in the NXT match because that was his last, ma- last night in NXT and he was putting the... Guy who was sticking around over on his way out, which is the way it's supposed to be done. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought it was really well done. Um, I mean, it was a it was a different type of match, which we needed after the previous matches we'd seen between these two. I thought the structure looked spectacular. Um, I'm I think in some ways more um amazing looking than than the hell in a cell structure. So um I thought that looked really good. And when WWE does these things, you can just see the size of the budget, can't you? Because, I mean, what a construction that thing was. And it just lowered into place. And also the team they've got, the production team, because we'd have the, you know, the Edge uh, versus Balarai quit match. Then we'd have like a little angle backstage uh, with uh, The Miz and Gritty, who was the, I think it's the, is it the Philadelphia... Flyers mascot. I think it yes, is gritty. Yeah, yeah gritty. Um, so that had been a long-running storyline throughout the show with <coughs> gritty annoying Miz, and in the end, Miz pummeled gritty, and of course that led to Dexter Loomis making another appearance and taking Miz down, and then gritty gave Miz a good boot to the stomach. So there wasn't really that much time for them to remove the ropes and just get everything ready for this match. But they did it, didn't they? I mean, this is the thing about WWE. It's so well run and well organized, isn't it? It's just amazing to watch, especially when you're there live and you see them in action doing these things and preparing for the next segment. And like about a dozen people just appear, don't they, Kenny, and then disappear. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a real. I mean, when you're there, when you're there live, sometimes you watch some of the, you know, the way they take stuff out and put stuff in. It's like it's a, a it's an operation. There's a lot of people who are uh, putting that stuff together. But yeah, I mean, I, I thought the match was good. I think that I don't think that the fight pit match is one that we're going to be talking about in a couple of years. But I no. think it was it was it was good. Cormier was fine. I don't I didn't really understand the bit where Cormier when Seth hit the stomp and Cormier just randomly didn't count for ten seconds. I'm wondering if that's maybe they're leaving that open that Cormier might want to do something in the future. That's the only real explanation I sort of have in my mind for that. Yeah. Apart from that, it was good, but this was all the, it was the entree thing to the main event, which was as Cormier's raising Matt Riddle's hand at the, at the you know, the ramp, the uh, graphic for the end of the show comes up, the little lower third graphic, and then the lights go out. And everybody's camera phones come on and we hear Bray Wyatt over the tannoy singing uh, he's got the whole world in his hands. We then see lights come on in different parts of the arena to show life-size versions, like people in like costumes uh, as, as different puppets from the funhouse. So, uh, you know, we've got Sister Abigail as well. We've got the Huskus. We've got the rabbit, all of them. Amblin rabbit, yeah, was there. Yeah, yeah we got them all. Um, and then, uh, and then, actually, the real the rambling rabbit guy in the costume reminded me of the, of the bit at the end of Beetlejuice, where uh, Beetlejuice tries to steal a guy's ticket, and the guy puts dust on his head, and his head shrinks, 
down. So uh, that reminded me of that. But anyway, um, so anyway, then then we saw a severed fiend head on the announcer's table. Then there was a guy in a fiend mask, and then it cut to a doorway. We had a big dilapidated firefly funhouse set with cobwebs and everything. And um, then we had the doorway open, a light behind it. It was a lantern, and it was Bray Wyatt with a new mask on. And he took the mask off to reveal his face. A big holy shit chant from the crowd. He says, I'm here, blows out the lantern, and we get an insect symbol. And that's the end. So um, what did you think, Finn? What did you think of all that uh, presentation and the tease of what's to come? Did he say I'm here? I thought he said I'm back. No, he said I'm here. I only oh, know because when I re they, they played it in full on Raw again. Yeah. And it, I couldn't make it out on the pay-per-view broadcast, but he definitely says I'm here. Oh, right. Okay. All right. Well, hopefully somebody changed that in what's going down in the magazine. <laughs> because I wrote <laughs> I'm back. That's what I thought he said. So um, that's what it sounded like he said when I watched it anyway. So, you know. <laughs> That's always annoying when you get stuff wrong in the magazine before the magazine's even gone out. <laughs> that um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was really good. Yeah, really good to to see him back. I mean, people instinctively knew what was coming because the White Rabbit um, they'd done like a retro video games advert had been screened on SmackDown, hadn't it? And then there'd been, I think, another plug for it earlier in the show with the White Rabbit saga, and they said that it would end at Extreme Rules. Hmm. So, uh, so yeah, it was. Um, it, everyone knew what was coming. So, I mean, yeah, with the people in the crowd, you know, there's the mask at ring on the announce table, the fiend guy at ringside, a guy dressed as a fiend rather, not the actual fiend. So, and then we had this amazing video and like distorted uh, images and all these real spooky horror film effects. And they were this amazing sort of door that was like something from a 1980s horror film. And then, you know, amazing lighting effects. It was just all so well done. And then, you know, Wyatt came out in the, as you said, the new mask, took the mask off. And, um, and yeah, you know, he says, I thought he said I'm back, Kenny, not I'm here. But anyway, he's back. So uh... he's back and he's here. He's both things. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, it was. I mean, people went pretty wild for it. I mean, I mean, the thing about Wyatt, of course, he was going to return to WWE if he was going to return to wrestling at all, because he can't, he couldn't just be a wrestler. I remember someone asked about this in uh, the magazine a while ago, did Q and A answer to this. So the character is bigger than the wrestler. So you know that's the thing about him. But the problem is, the character, in order for it to succeed on a your know, large your money drawing level, the character has to have matches. And as we saw with the previous version of The Fiend, most of the matches failed. I mean, they've got to find a way of making sure that Fiend's draw wire complements his opponents and has matches that are entertaining. And that was something that they weren't, I mean, obviously it was the Bala match at SummerSlam. Was that 2019? It was, wasn't it? 2019. Yeah, SummerSlam, SummerSlam 2019 was yes. the, the Balor match. So, I mean, that was a success, but that was mostly because, you know, Balor was destroyed by The Fiend. And The Fiend can't destroy all the stars that he faces. Otherwise, the stars will be ruined. So, yeah, it's great to see him back, but I hope they've got a plan, Kenny, for um, to make this thing work in the ring, to make this character work in the ring and to make well, his he, matches he, work. He can't wrestle as the fiend, and I think the, we, we've seen that. You know, the fiend is now part of his kind of you know character base, but it's not who he's going to be, which is good. So, I guess he's going to have to he's going to have to wrestle as a new version of himself. So, um, will he have people with him? Will the people who are in the Firefly Funhouse costumes will they are they are they going to be people? You know, there's rumors. Bo Dallas apparently is making a return to WWE. You assume the only reason he would be doing that is to be part of this. Yeah, possibly. But I mean, you know, Bo Dallas and everything he did. I mean, I mean, he was a jobber. I mean, he was a clown. I mean, he was not a success in anything that he did in WWE. I mean, I wouldn't say he was really that successful in NXT either. Um, So, I mean, that's a risk adding Bo Dallas to the act. I mean, you could say, well, you know, he's Wyatt's brother, so he deserves this spot. But, I mean, show me something Dallas has done 
to prove that he earns a spot and de- deserves to be in a you know main event or high card program. He, to me, he's done nothing to prove that he deserves to be in you know in that position on the card. So, I mean, maybe if they come up with a completely new character for him, which if he's going to be involved with with his brother, then they obviously will. Um, he might succeed, but might he also drag Wyatt down? So, I mean, yeah, I'm pleased to see him back. I mean, and it provoked a huge reaction in the arena, massive social media engagement, and people were talking about it for all the, all the next day. And people have been talking about the White Rabbit saga for weeks before he returned. So it's been a big success so far. But as I say, you've got to find a way of making sure that Wyatt compliments his opponents and doesn't damage them, you know, and, and make them less valuable than they were before they faced him. So I can imagine Seth Rollins is thinking, you know, <laughs> I'm just glad that he's not on Raw. <laughs> so I believe he's going to be part of SmackDown, Bray Wyatt. Yes, be- he's, he's uh, returning this Friday on SmackDown. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's obviously a different creative regime. I'm sure they recognise what everyone else can see that there's been problems with his character previously, and hopefully they can come up with an antidote to that. Yeah. I mean, I think there's everyone's kind of, you know, we've been in this position with Bray Wyatt numerous times before where we, you know, we hope that this time is going to be different. Um, But I'm I'm hopeful. I mean, I think, I don't think they're paying him all this money to come back and just have it be the same thing. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what he does on Friday. We'll see who he's going to be wrestling we'll see what he's going to be doing um and and go from there but um extreme rules was a success overall i think i mean there was some some kind of you know not dross there was some kind of you know stuff that's not going to be very memorable but i mean i thought there was enough on it to make it a a good show yeah yeah i mean it it really sort of dipped in the middle didn't it i mean it was bookended by some you know good act good action um i mean it was really you know i think finn balor and Edge really took match of the night honours. I think that was that was really well done. And, you know, the booking at the end and all the extras really just made it so, just felt like a main event match, didn't it? It was that exciting. And that could have closed the show. Um, I mean, I know they, they wanted a babyface ending, a babyface sc- scoring the win. That's often how they like to end shows. So I understand why it was in the semi-main event spot. Um, but, it, yeah, it was... Um, I thought it was a good show. I mean, a lot happened, and it'll be remembered for the Wyatt return mostly. But uh, yeah, I mean, shame for some of the mid card matches that they didn't deliver more um, than they did and weren't didn't exceed our expectations. But not every show is going to be outstanding from start to finish. In fact, very few shows are, Kenny, as you know. Yeah, indeed. But I thought it was a big success, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll see where all the the machinations go, and we will discuss some of the fallout. Uh, from Raw on PowerSlam podcast this week, and we will talk about Antonio Inoki because I said we were going to last week and I forgot, which I shouldn't have done. So we'll give a little bit more of a nod to Inoki uh, on PowerSlam this week. Um, Finn, I hope that you uh, enjoy a day's reprieve from me before we need to do this again. So, um, <laughs> yes, thank you, Kenny. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm, I look forward to Thursday. I'm going to be watching. Got plenty of stuff to watch before we uh, record again. But uh, yeah, look forward to recording on Thursday and talking all about Raw. Yeah, tomorrow. One more day and then we're... we're, we're... So uh, apologies, by the way, that uh, what's going down is a day late today. That was, I had to go to uh, a funeral. So I uh, yeah, we, just, we couldn't make it work yesterday. So um, we're here today, though. Back tomorrow on Patreon for Power Slam. Main feed on Friday. Normal service resumes. So I want to thank you for listening. Please go support the magazine. InsideTheRopesMagazine.com is the place to go. Uh, Patreon is the best way to support Finn and I doing podcasts, as I always say. It is so true. Um, so if you're on the fence and you think, you know, well, you know, does it really matter if I pledge to Patreon? It does. It really helps us be able to keep doing these free podcasts and to do the ones that we do over on Patreon. So Patreon.com forward slash InsideTheRopes. So, uh, yeah, I want to thank you all for listening and we'll talk to you soon.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 